Welcome to CTU Speaks, episode Everyone's Essential and Remote. Homie, I was taught by Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher, so I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers. I'm your co-host, Andrea Parker, and I am joined with... Jim Starnes. How's it going, Miss Parker? It is going... Virtually well, Virtually all things well. considered. Nice. I'm excited to be here as we know that the school year is fastly approaching. It is. And we'll be back in school in, in approximately about a week. And we're doing this podcast to make sure that those who are listening and the powers that be know what teachers need to make sure that our classes are successful. That's right. We just got dropped from CPS, their, their rendition of what it should look like to go back. To, yes, their reopening framework. Their reopening framework. That's, it's a very fancy way to say that, but it's, uh, let's say it's a little rough right now. I don't, I don't like it that much. I don't know if the frame works. What? Nice. Nice play on words. Look at you getting all up to speed for the classes coming up. All right. I like I'm ready with my puns, you, you know? You are. You've been saving up all summer for the kids. Don't hurt them on the first oh, day. Oh, yes. I got them all. Got a whole <laughs> bag of puns. I bet you do. So what's wrong with the framework, Jim? Well, I, you know what? I'm going to start out with something kind of good first. I know that's that's weird for me, right? But I'm going to do it. The one good thing is that um, CPS and the mayor listened to all the Black and Latinx families that protested against opening in person. There was a study done or a poll done, I should say, uh, about two weeks ago where it was overwhelming support by Black and Latinx families to uh, stay remote instead of going back to school in person. And they listened. So I'm going to give them a C plus. Better than average for them, but they should have known to begin with. So yeah, C plus. Yes, that's growth. But you know, you know, when you know you do your testing, you have attainment and you have growth. That's true. So they're not at attainment yet. That's correct. There's some growth. And, And at least they listened, which is what they're supposed to do. Which is a good... That's to the families. I'm going to go, yeah. Listen to our families. That was a plus. So hopefully next time they listen to us as well. I hope so. Hopefully they ask us first. And then, then we can actually go into this together. Yeah, because we want a partnership. We don't want an adversarial relationship. We want a partnership. Exactly. But also CPS is, mm-hmm. you know, one thing the issue is, is that they're trying to mirror the remote process or the remote learning process as if it was in school learning. Right. So different. in their frame that doesn't work, um, it's saying that seven hours a day of live synchronous instruction. Right. Now, in the classroom, teachers are not talking live for seven hours. <laughs> it's just it's not happening. Yep. There's a lot of peer peer to peer work, group, you know, class discussion, teacher one on one. It's independent work where there's, you know, size in the classroom and children are for the opportunity to think. And to have productive struggle, if need be, and just learn. Um, that's going to be a challenge in the remote environment because I cannot, while they're working independently, I'm not going to be walking around or anything like that. I can't talk too much. That I don't want to you know, interrupt. So live instruction, it seems uh, very unrealistic at this time. What are your thoughts about that? No, I agree. I think this is one of those times where... If they had talked to any current teacher, anybody, 
they would have realized, hey, there's some things we had not thought about. Because I think a lot of people don't really understand on a day-to-day basis what teachers do in the classroom. And so for them to try to then translate that over to remote is pretty much impossible. And not only that, but, you know, I know that you are a uh, sixth through eighth grade teacher, Ms. Parker, and your classroom is very different than other sixth to eighth grade classrooms. And the teachers should have some flexibility and adaptability in the classroom to be able to do what they know is best for their own personal students. That is so true. And you are right that it is a sad fact that no current teacher was a part of this frame that doesn't work. So I I would have felt, you know, more respected in my profession had our employer reached out and asked teachers how, you know, got some feedback about the spring, at least. What happened in the spring? What worked and did not work in the spring? Um, What do you think? I mean, just like a thing you have, you have access to all these different teachers, uh, a think tank, if you will. And they were not sought after. And I don't understand why. No, I I agree with you. I mean, it's been six months since we went remote for the first time. And that's plenty of time to have at least started asking around, ask us what we need. I mean, there was a great survey that came out from CTU about what's needed in the classroom so we could put it forth as bargaining demands. But why didn't they ask? They're all saying that they want to know what, you know, what's best for the kids. Well, the teachers know what's best for the kids. Why don't you ask them? I mean, that seems pretty simple. You got all our emails. You gave us the damn email. So just press the button. Damn. Oh, Jim, tell us how you really feel. Sorry, I, I'm getting getting a little getting a little flustered here. You know, it's okay. I know. You know. When it comes to equity for our children, don't mess with Jim. Don't mess with bite me. your head off. Yep. Papa. You don't do that. So now, even though CPS decided not to ask teachers about what's needed in the classroom, we at CTU Speaks, we're gonna ask. We got a bunch of people we're gonna be asking about that. Who do we have today, Ms. Parker? We have two wonderful educators. We have Roman Hinkuski who's a special education teacher for CPS. And we also have Marilyn Piggy Williams, who is a teacher assistant for CPS. Our other guest would be Walter Taylor, who is the director of professional development for the Chicago Teachers Union Foundation Quest Center. And they're going to tell us what we need in order for us to get it right in remote learning. What we need to succeed. All right. So we're here with Walter Taylor, the Director of Professional Development for the Chicago Union Foundation Quest Center. How are you doing there today? Pretty good. How are you? Doing great. Um, I'm hoping maybe you could tell us a little bit about what the Quest Center is and what your role is there as the director of it. Absolutely. So the Quest Center is the professional development arm of the Chicago Teachers Union, as well as the Chicago Teachers Union Foundation. Um, The Quest Center Um, for professional learning and teacher leadership is we consider ourselves the premier professional development provider supporting um, Chicago, (laughs) (laughs) supporting Chicago public school educators through relicensure, national board certification and endorsements. And we do this through um, high quality professional development. Now, my particular role is the director, as you mentioned, director of professional development, essentially Um, I am responsible for the strategic planning as well as the development and implementation of the professional learning opportunities for educators. Okay. 
Awesome. And we and our educators definitely are in need of this. So we because we always try to step up our game when it comes to teaching our students. And so, you know, Walter, for the first quarter, at least um, there will be totally remote. There will be no hybrid. Uh, it will be a remote learning model. Um, some people are skeptical of this, as they said last year, that they felt like there was a loss of learning with the students. So can remote learning work? That's a tough question <laughs> and a good question. Um, I'll say this. It, it can maybe work for some, right? It is not going to be easy. We all know that this is not the best practice, not even close. However, this is what this moment is calling for. Um, We, as educators, we have to be more um, flexible, responsive, and really showcase our ingenuity um, to the upteenth power (laughs) yet again. Um, This is what we do. I would be remiss if I didn't say that we all know there are still students who neither have the devices nor the broadband connection for remote learning. Mm. Not to mention um, the students who have special needs, students who are quite young and can't really navigate electronic devices for remote learning quite yet. Right. Um, you know, for it to truly be successful. All of this could work or could have worked um, if the district had planned for it to work. Right. I know we had you on before for what we had called the uh, remote learning expert edition. You were our resident expert on that. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, CPS had had a plan. And one of the things that's really frustrated me is that we've had six months of this um, since we kind of went remote back in March. And by the time we're back in school and everything, it's going to be almost six months later. And there's been very little movement on the part of the district to really give any kind of significant assistance on this. So I'm wondering, as our resident expert, which is what I'm going to refer to you as now, our resident expert. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) What can teachers do to make sure that the students are well prepared to learn in the environment that they're going to be in come the fall? Great question. Um, Well, there are several things that can be done to try to make sure that teachers and students are better prepared for this type of learning environment. One of the things that can be done is to specifically focus on the needs of each student as much as possible. And that becomes even more hard, obviously, when we're talking about remote learning. But I do think that that will um, generate um, learning opportunities for students if we do that. I also think that um, teachers really should try to create a plan to stay connected to the parents or the caregivers, um, irrespective of their access to technology. Like there still should be some connection that's happening there um, with the parents in order to try to um, kind of fill in for the, the digital, you know, gap that still exists. I also think that the use of resources that are designed for this very situation is really important. And of course, that can be found through um, the Quest Center. But also, you know, we need to learn from our colleagues. Like there are plenty of our colleagues out there who kind of are, you know, abreast of this and, and, and know a lot. I think that really forming a group of peers that can, you know, help each other work through this 
um, unfortunate situation is is definitely something we ought to be doing. And maybe the the most important thing of the, of the things that I've listed would be maybe conduct a kind of a needs assessment of yourself. Like know where you are with this. You know, know what your skill level is before we try to actually, you know, roll out this um, remote learning. Because it's, it's difficult. It's different. It is different. Um, and I know that, again, that we offer definitely high quality professional development for our members. So just to prepare us for the remote learning process, what are some courses um, that the Quest Center offers that can be very essential for teachers right now, um, either before they start back to school or while they are Start while they actually back in the virtual building, if you will. That's a great question as well. So we have several courses that we offer on a rotating basis. Pretty much we have offered a, at least one course a week since we actually shut ourselves down and we started social distancing. So this has been, you know, for several months, we have offered at least one course that will help teachers and PSRPs and clinicians kind of navigate this. But some of those courses that are um, currently running or are up to run very soon, we have a course called Google Forms Assessment from Afar. It's a three-hour course that will introduce teachers to Google Forms as a free survey administration and kind of quiz app connection to the Google account that every CPS teacher already has, obviously. Um, Participants will learn um, how to create and build forms, gather data from parents, um, build self-grading quizzes, and share forms with collaborators, etc. Special attention in particular will be given to some of the tools that are used for distance learning. I should mention, too, that this is um, an asynchronous class. There is no video meeting at a specific time. So we're not having to be right in front of each other. They can engage in the content whenever they want. If it's two o'clock in the morning and that suits them, they can certainly do that if they want to. Um, Another option that we have, um, just to give you a couple more, we have a course called Google Classroom One-on-One, Communicate and Manage Your Digital Classroom. With this offering, um, it provides an opportunity to learn more about Google Classroom, which is a free-based classroom management connected to the Google account, again, that every teacher has. Um, Inexperienced users um, will build skills and experiences in, in the Google Classroom to advance student learning. But we also know that differentiation is important in this. So in that same course, we have kind of an option for more advanced users they might learn some of the lesser known features of this of this tool to save time and to save paper, right? So we, we definitely want to make sure that we are differentiating our instruction as well. I like that also because I know, I remember last year um, that we had a partnership with My 50 Chicago, Channel 32, um, called We Still Teach. And many teachers, including myself, took part in that because we knew that some students did not have access to digital technology and they may just have, you know, packets and we wanted to provide another outlet or medium to be able to teach our students. So we did it through the We Still Teach in this partnership. Um, As of now, I believe that we are going to go back to We Still Teach. Uh, We don't know the exact, you know, um, way it's going to work, Um, but I know that it's going to happen. So are there going to be 
some courses designed to help teachers build great video or content to have some, like you said, asynchronous learning. So we absolutely um, have worked out um, a plan with We Still Teach. As a matter of fact, we have a course that has been designed um, in partnership with us um, so that teachers can kind of up the ante or up their game when it comes to providing really high quality um, remote learning. So they, they might learn things like how to light themselves properly when they are conducting um, videos with their, with their students so that the students can actually see them properly, right? Like these are, these are skills that are really um, important to this work. And we, we knew that since we already had that partnership with We Still Teach, we might as well, you know, use them or help or have them help us um, provide professional development for our members. So yes, and we will be offering um, that partnership course again, but literally currently that course is running right now. Right now. Okay. Um, this wasn't in my uh, particular questions, but I just want to know like how many teachers can sign up at one time? So it all depends on the course. So for We Still Teach right now, the um, instructors have it limited to about 16 people only because they are trying to control for quality, right? So we don't want to have 50 people in the course when, you know, we really want to make sure that that the folks that have signed up are actually getting um, the best instruction and the best one-on-one attention that they can get. So class size matters is what you're saying. (laughs) Yes, it does. Right. Yes, it does. I like that. It's true. So where can where can teachers find these courses where if I'm a teacher wanting to up my digital game, where do I find out how to log on to our resident experts stuff? Absolutely. So please visit us at ctuf.org forward slash quest center forward slash. And I'm going to repeat that just in case. ctuf.org forward slash quest center forward slash. Gotcha. And we'll put that in the show notes so people can get there and just click on it. And uh, if we didn't hear that, it'll just be right there. So hit it and get some learning on. Thank you so much, Walter, for being here today and just trying to, again, make our teachers be the best that they can be, even during this pandemic. I just love how we're always forward thinking and we have to be forward thinking people in order to give our kids uh, forward education, to move them forward in their education. So thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, definitely. joined here with two educators from CPS. One educator is Roman Hinkluski. He is a special education teacher. And we're also joined with Marilyn Piggy Williams, who is a teacher assistant. And they're going to talk to you, including myself and Jim, just about our feelings about going to school remote remotely and to make sure that we have the best resources for our students. So thank you for coming to the show yeah, today. Thank you guys so much. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting us. Yes, because at first he's going to have a podcast about our skepticism in going back to school in a hybrid model. But because CPS did listen to CTU and understood our concerns, uh, we're very thankful that we are uh, going to school remotely. So, um, So tell the audience, what is your role as an educator and how long you've been an educator with CPS? Okay, I'm uh, Roman Hinkluski. Um, 
I am in going in my fourth year. I'm an LBS1 diverse learner teacher. I work sixth, seventh, and eighth grade diverse learners. And uh, currently I'm focusing on math. Um, it's my eighth year with the district. Before that, I did four years as a teacher's aide at uh, Shures High School as a SICA. And I was in that, I was in uh, low incidence. I was in inclusion and I was in uh, self-contained special education classroom. Wow, you did it all. Yes, de- de- definitely, definitely in need of you. Thank you. Marilyn, what about you? I'm Marilyn Pagay-Williams. I'm a teacher assistant. I've been a teacher assistant for over 27 years. I work with an ADA teacher who's wheelchair bound for first grade. But this year, she's taking a short-term disability, so I'll be working with the new first grade teacher who's replacing her on e-learning. Oh, wow. Okay. Excellent. And thank you for your years of service. We really appreciate that. So as you all see, that CPS is filled with a lot of talented educators that serve in different roles, and all educators are essential. So when some people say that some educators are not essential, that is not true because every educator is essential, even in this remote learning process. So we know that out of nowhere, COVID-19 happened and the world, especially um, educators, did not know what the impact would be. We didn't know it was going to be so horrible. Uh, We know the pandemic happened quickly and there was not a lot of time to prepare for the remote learning process. Uh, Can you describe how you transitioned into teaching remote? Okay, so transitioning into teaching remote, it was um, it seemed a bit haphazardly. Um, Of course, the first thing I did was I listened to the. Chicago Teachers Union Teletown Hall on the guidance on remote. Then my administrators came up with the haphazard system that they kept changing during remote learning. And um, they were moving the goalposts on us and it really wasn't appreciated. Um, Realistically, the district was saying we were supposed to do in the union two hours of live instruction per day, two hours of planning. Okay, my administrators had made us, we were starting at 8.15, and we were supposed to be ending around 3.15, between 3.15 and 3.50. That was not not good. Amir, what about you? What was your, how did you prepare for remote learning in your role? You know, it was very difficult for us as teachers' assistants because there was no guidelines for us. When this board first came out and said that we was going to remote, first mistake they made, it was not mandatory grades would not count. And then they gave each grade level how many minutes to be online. And because some people don't have contact information, the principal didn't reach out, teachers didn't reach out. But since I work with a teacher individual, she reached out. Then she told me what platform we'd be on. She gave me the minutes, the meeting time, and a group of kids that I work with. But some schools were not fortunate enough to do that. So some assistants... We had teachers saying we don't want to work. They just getting a check. But we didn't have a director. The board didn't give us a director. The principal didn't give us a director. So we was just left out of the part of the remote learning. And that definitely wasn't good for kids. And that's why it's very important that we need directors. We need we as well as our students need clear expectations so we can make sure that this works. Thank you all so much for sharing that. Yeah. Yes, not just some kind of plan, but a specific plan, a well-thought-out plan. well-thought-out plan, yes. Absolutely. That, that's one of the biggest problems we've got. And one of the things I found most frustrating was, you know, the, the board had said that we were going to go back 
and some kind of weird hybrid model. And the union was arguing to go back, you know, just fully remote. But either way, it was pretty clear there was going to be at least part remote. And the whole summer, CPS pretty much didn't do very much at all to get us prepped for that. Even CPS knew we were going to be at least partly remote. There was almost no training. There's almost no PDs about this. A few random ones we found from CPS. They're trying to ramp it up a little bit now. Um, CTU's really stepped up trying to get a lot of stuff offered through the Quest Center um, through, uh, through our friend uh, Walter Taylor and, and all of that. But there's been no coherent plan from the district at all. And it's, it's been six, seven months, right? Six months. Yeah, it's been long enough. And this could have been an opportunity to say, hey, whether we go back to school in a hybrid model or we go back remote or if we go back full time with the possibility of having to go back out remote, let's use this time to prepare to make sure that come what may that our students are learning because there has been a lot of discussion about, oh, um, the learning gap, the achievement gap and the loss of learning. And we had so much there was so much time that our district had to say, hey, if we go back remote, this is what we're going to put in place. Whether it was full-time remote, part-time remote, whatever, that should have been, is enough opportunity and time to have something put in place. Right. So at least now that CPS has listened to reason and we're going back fully remote, um, at least for the, the first part of the year, what do you guys think needs to be put in place to ensure that this time remote learning is handled better and more efficiently, both for teachers and students. So what do you guys need? What do teachers in the system need um, to be able to move forward effectively? Okay, what I think we need, my school, believe it or not, we had a pretty high engagement level. I saw 17 kids throughout the day, right? Okay. I saw all but two of them, and they were evading me. We have GoGuardian. I caught the one kid and like after school, I was online doing something. And I said, you need to be in class. I sent him a message and then he ghosted and he didn't appear on the <laughs> login again. <laughs> you know, it's kids being kids, you know, right. a lot of these kids, even if they're diverse learners, they're very savvy when it comes to technology. Absolutely. And oh, yeah. work. But what I think realistically, what we need when we go back, we need realistic guidelines. We need realistic work schedule. You know, you can't just say, oh, your school goes from um, 8 o'clock to 3 o'clock. Guess what? You're going to be online from 8 to 3. No. You need to have a realistic work schedule. You need to have your instruction blocks. You know, I see three grades, right, grade levels of students. Okay, make that 50 minutes, 50 minutes times three. Let's have those blocks. The rest I could have is support. You know, another, that would be, what, 50 minutes? times three would be 150 minutes. That's uh, two, two and a half hours, right? I could do the other two and a half hours for planning and support and one-on-one with right. students if it was permitted. It's not permitted, but I mean, right. I'm sure there's, there's enough to where, you know, if you record it, that way you, you, you protect yourself and protect, protect the student if you're one-on-one. That to me, right. that would make sense. Um, Professional developments. So our staff week, instead of doing all this kumbaya crap, we need to get down (laughs) and we need to do these remote learning modules Mm. as it relates to just best practice, content matter, whatever. That's what we need to do first week. We don't need to sit there and do all this like 
pass the this and then do all this team building crap. Because guess what? We're all remote. There's no way in hell we could be a team. Um, nice. <laughs> I like this guy. We need flexible schedules, and we need access to district approvals for more web-based curriculum. I hear a lot of people right. say, you know, like the one gentleman on the CTU Teletown Hall last night was saying, I like I like Class Dojo and this and that. Me, I find Class – my school, my administrators are almost mandating it. So I did it, set it up, and I'm like, this just doesn't work for me. And they're still like, did you do Dojo? I'm like, no. I had one parent sign up. I had sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. What kind of kid wants to see that, you know, that like um, below third grade level, like, ooh, a little woodgy pop? No. My kids, you got to treat them like the age they are, not like little kids. Right. That was a tangent. That's okay. <laughs> the district really needs to get it together and, you know, do like express approval programs. Like if you use, you know, IXL math. Okay, cool. Approve that. If you use math prodigy, use that. Okay. If you use Raskids, all right, great. We'll, we'll have Raskids. That's fine. But they need to have like an express approval for those kind of pro- programs. Okay. Mary, what about you from a teacher assistant perspective or just generally speaking? I think that the PPLC, the PPC should be meeting. Can you tell, um, cause this is for the audience that does not know what a PPC or PPLC, can you explain what those two organizations are? The Professional Problem Leadership Committee, the PPC, you know, with the contract, what's those? Professional two? Problems uh, Committee. Committee. And what are those? What do they do? Well, one, deal with the curriculum. The PPLC deal with the curriculum and the PPC deal with our contract. Those okay. committees have to meet together right now because if we're going on remote learning, we have to make sure our teachers still receive their preps, their lunch, and their breaks. When people say you're online for seven hours, no, you're not because you still have to do those essential classes and everything within the contract. The PPLC should meet, be meeting right now. Like Roman said, if we're going to start at nine, we're going to end at two. Everybody has to have the same scheduling time because if as a parent, who might be working with a kid from home? I need a scheduled time. So if I know my child is on at nine and this teacher had to put her child on at 930, she could give me an assignment, whatever. I'm entitled to my 60 minute prep. I'm entitled to my 45 minute lunch. I'm entitled to my two 15 minute break. So that has to be put in place so parents could know I'm going to be right back. I'm going to be away from the computer. This is their assignment right now. Then how they utilize the assistant is if they're on a break or we working with 30 kids, this teacher could break off with a small group. All we're doing is doing a transition from the school to the home. And I think if we stay on the same page, doing the same lesson plan, that everybody will be okay. If kids not popping in, the teacher could say, could you please call them? Where they at? Where they at? We don't need to lose 2,000 or 4,000 students this year. We need to stay on top of them. The board require intentions to be put in at 10 o'clock. It needs to be put in at 10 o'clock. We need to keep the same platform, same schedule. But when you have everybody all over the place, like Romans say, if a kid is supposed to be on class, a parent don't know that. The parent needs to know the plan too. This is time, 9 o'clock, we're doing block read. 10 o'clock, we're doing this. 11 o'clock, lunchtime. 11.30, teacher prep, 45 minutes. This is the child assignment at home until I come back. I think we just need to keep the routine, and it'll be simple. But those committees have to meet. They have to have a schedule. Everybody has to be 
at one school doing the same thing. It can't be all over the place or you're going to lose students. You're going to lose people. It's not going to work. Right. That's right, because um, I know last year when I was, you know, doing remote and some of you may be able to test to this, like you may have students, they have a schedule, but they may be in your they may come to your English class. But I go to the math class. They may go to their art class. They don't go to their music class. So we got to make sure that student accountability is held this year. So once they once we know they have laptops and they have Internet access, because that is primary, they have to have that. Uh, we want to because we don't want to penalize them if they don't. But if they do have that, we got to make sure that we hold them accountable. And right now is the time to contact parents because I believe um, parent communication right now is the holy grail of remote learning because we need them to be some serious partners right now. Uh, so we won't repeat the same mistakes that were had last year because some of those issues last year was you know, misbehavior, students not coming to class, holding students' attention um, remotely, because it's hard sometimes to hold a a student's attention remotely. So how can we combat those issues? So like, for example, as I just said, like holding a child's attention, making sure they're on in time, making sure they go to all their classes. How can we combat those issues so they won't repeat themselves this school year for remote? The one thing I think, it shouldn't be boring. You have to make it fun for a kid. You have to realize, I a small kid can't sit in front of a computer, do a savage hunt, play family feud, do something to interact with the students. Because one thing that a lot of people fear, everybody's being observed now. You're being observed by the parent. You're going to have principals popping in, popping out now. This will require the board wants you to use one platform so they can make sure you're on. It could tell how long you was on and what you was on. So it's like everybody's going to be held accountable this time. And I think if we started off at the beginning of the year and you know what's going on. And then another thing we had an issue with, we have to keep up with our homeless kids. We have to keep up with our yeah. kids in low income area who don't have broadband. Really Maybe the lights got cut off. We just had a major storm. Maybe they didn't make a comeback. We have a lot of people about to lose of their homes come you know, August the 1st. Some of our kids misplaced. Where are they? We need to be on top of that. Right. I agree. That's why I said uh, communication right now, making sure that we are in contact with parents, families, understanding what situation they are in, if they're bilingual if, um, and they need more bilingual support, if they're homeless and they need more housing support, if they ha- don't have the proper technology, we just have to make sure that we contact parents and not just be aggressive saying, we need your child on, why are they not on? We have to be a support. How can we support you? We need somebody like around the clock to make sure that um, parents have access. We make we, we want to make sure that everything is necessary for them because we don't want our students leaving um, CPS and going somewhere else because they feel like they are not getting their support. So right now it's not about, well, this, this is my set schedule or this is this, but how can we be a support to families? Roman, what are your thoughts on how we can combat the issues from last year? Um, I'm thinking like, um, like I was combating the issues. It's calling parents, you know, and I did a lot of calling parents, you know, because we had a small intimate school, right? I think like 220 kids. I had 17 kids in my case. So I was on the phone with those parents at least once a week. We had like our uh, clerks, right? They were making phone calls. Like if the kid wasn't in class, you know, you give them like a 15 minute grace period. If the kid wasn't in class in 15 minutes, the, one of the clerks is calling their home. Yeah, nice. that may be annoying, but you know what? It might work. You know, that's very. it's a very aggressive approach. And you know what? 
I mean, as much as my administration drove me a little crazy, they were on top of that. That was very, nice. to me, that was very good. You know, like staying in contact with these kids. Another thing I think, like kids with behavior, right? We had an incident where I closed, you know, I, I, I logged out of my one of my classes and one, then the kids started fighting and one kid said, I'll beat your this and that. And there was a threat, right? Well, that had to get followed up. So the one kid, police showed up at his door, you know, and th- this was real. You know, people are people in this pandemic are way stressed out and people are getting a little wacky. I mean, I'm, I was wacky to begin with, so I've got nothing to worry about. <laughs> But people are getting a little bit overly sensitive and a little more enraged. And mm. we need that SES in every single class. Leave it to science class or leave it to uh, English. No, every class, like, hey, kids, hey, guys, how you doing? Like, especially after um, the looting and the riots, um, you know, and the, well, the protests to uh, riots and looting. My kids were, were really, really kind of like, oh, my God, you know, their their world was up in a, you know, shambles. And I'm like, hey, guys, I'm like, you know what? This may sound corny, but I love you guys. I think you guys are great. I think you guys have good potential. And like to give that 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 little bit of time to talk and have them work through things. Right. Like even though I was teaching math, it doesn't matter. You have to be there. You you are their like parent figure. You know, for a lot of these children, you could be their parent essentially because, you know, there's less structure throughout. Right. And, you know, I think one other thing, and I think Marilyn mentioned it earlier, that, you know, we need to make clear to parents particularly what the expectations of a teacher are. I was talking to a a parent the other day and, uh, you know, I'm a high school teacher And they really thought that for the hour the kids are in class, I'm just up there telling them stuff. Like, I'm just talking for an hour straight. Uh, My students might feel that, but that's not really, you know, that's not how it is. Out of an hour class, you know, we'll talk about something. Maybe we'll have a group discussion for 10 minutes. Then I'll give them a reading to look over for a few minutes. Then we'll talk, they'll talk about that in a small group. So, you know, of an hour class period, direct teacher instruction is... I don't know, maybe a quarter of that time, maybe less sometimes, depending on what we're doing. And I think sometimes parents just assume that, well, you know, if you're supposed to be working from eight to three, then you should be interacting with my kid from eight to three. But even in a regular school day, that's not really how it works. You know, it's not us keeping directly working with that individual kid, keeping them engaged on that particular topic as me talking which I thought, I think this is what that parent kind of thought that the teacher was slacking off because they just said, okay, you know, we'll do this for a minute. And now you guys work for 10 or 15 minutes and we'll come back and discuss it. I'm like, no, that's, that's teaching. That's what it is. It's not me telling everybody what to do. And I think, you know, that would help if there was, you know, something we got to parents so they know what to expect, what's a realistic expectation um, of the teachers in the classroom or the virtual classroom. That is true. And I, I'm glad that you said that, Jim. Again, that's why we have to communicate with parents. We don't want any animosity between parents and educators. We want clear expectations and agreements and that we want um, both of us to know, both parties, everybody involved, every stakeholder to know that we want the best for our students. We want our students to achieve. Yeah. And we All know parties. that again, right. And we know that again, that this is also 
evidence to show that nothing can ever replace in-person learning. And we know that the only reason why we are doing remote is because we are in a pandemic. And we know that it's not the best situation, but we can make it the best possible uh, with the support of every stakeholder. So we want everybody to have all hands on deck only because we want our students to learn. We do not want uh, loss of learning. Kids are online a lot. Kids are on their cell phones. They're on YouTube. They're, they're on the computer a lot. Uh, and I say that's the best thing for them. But I know that if they can be on some cell phones and some laptops, they can be on for a couple of hours. We're not asking them to be on seven hours a day. We're going to make sure that there is some screen time, there's some independent learning time, and there is some, some small group time with the teacher. So these things will take place. And we do want to provide students with the best opportunity in education. And so parents, just make sure you work with us. Don't be afraid. We, we, have, we got your children. And so I just want to also say that some educators have been deemed not essential um, based on an email that was um, sent by CPS to some principals last week. I know a couple of principals and they shared some things with me. And there's a hybrid freeze for some workers that are deemed so-called non-essential. Some of those are student special service advocates, parent workers, program managers, clerk assistants, um, teacher and instructional assistants, even remote learning. So yeah. even tech coordinators. Yes. Some tech coordinators are, are deemed non-essential. And I just don't agree that anybody is non-essential because I, I uh, I teach middle school English language arts, and I know that in a remote setting, sometimes I'm sharing my screen, I'm doing a presentation, um, my teacher assistant looking at the chat, she makes phone calls, she helps with small groups, um, she does a whole lot. She helps with um, grading assignments, she helps with giving feedback, um, because it is a lot in a remote setting, um, because again, you know, in a physical setting, I'm walking around, I'm monitoring students, it's hard to monitor students sometimes when they don't show their faces and things like that, so she is very helpful uh, also, she provides her perspective on things, give different examples, and I love it. So I just don't think that, especially teacher and instructional assistants are deemed not essential if schools don't already have one. What do you all think about that? Can you all just tell the um, the listening audience, why do you think one or some of all these positions are essential? Well, I think the clerks should be considered essential because they want them to come into the class, I mean, to the building. They want tech coordinators to come into the building to mm-hmm. make sure the uh, Chromebooks and all that are given out. And then uh, I heard today some um, clerks, they want them to come in and do a uh, picture ID for students, freshmen. So I'm entering a building that we don't think is clean or safe wow. to be entered. So if you require me to go in clerks to make sure the supplies coming in, this and it's not clean, I should be considered an essential worker, a tech coordinator. You asking some assistants coming to the building to help out with um, distributing materials to parents. And I think to piggyback on what you're saying, I think it's all about the communication. You know, you got kids in third, sixth, eighth grade, seniors. They need to know it's serious. It's still school. The board last year only said one grade. They need to let it be known how many grades. These kids don't pass. They go to summer school. Kids was under pressure. Everybody passed. So when it comes back to essential workers, they are asking some people to come into the building that we don't deem safe yet. All right. Thank you, Marilyn. Uh, you can go ahead, Roman. Um, now, I 
I am probably not the number one person to speak on this, but what I have to say is that there are many roles they could do. I mean, my administration, you know. Which roles are you speaking on? Which um, position? Paraprofessionals, clerks. Um, well, we know that clerk, clerks are essential. But, yeah, security said it's not essential right now. Okay. Or oh, clerk assistants. I mean, the security are there. And, you know, they could vert work virtually. I mean, they could be calling the kids up and like, hey, your kid hasn't connected to uh, learning. Or what's going on? Right. Do you guys have technology? Could, uh, you know, I mean, maybe even as far as home visits. Like, hey, how's it going? Are you guys okay? Do you guys know how to set the Wi-Fi up? Do you know, making yeah. sure everything is good? You know, um, telephoning parents, communicating with them. You know, I put it in a log. Like, hey, this kid's not showing up. So the uh, clerks or something could even work remotely and call them up. Be like, hey, what's going on? You know, is, is everything okay? They could uh, try to connect parents and students, like socio-emotional supports and services, through you know the school or through just government agencies where, you know, people are going a little bit bonkers with this whole pandemic and they need a little bit of FaceTime or face chat with like a mental health professional. Maybe that would really help them. Maybe that would ease their fears. You know, I mean, we have, we have a pandemic going on. Things are just insane and we could utilize these non-essential workers and make them essential and they could do things such as that. Absolutely. I was thinking about when you were talking about security and in a remote setting. I know that, you know, when you have Google Meets, once that link is open, it's open. And those students can go to that link anytime they want. And I have caught students, you know, getting online before I get there and just having, you know, conversations. I haven't seen anything out of control, but I've have heard some teachers saying like when they get on, they can get on that link any time of day. And so we can have security definitely making sure that, um, People are not on certain uh, Google Meets before it's time. They're not having any inappropriate conversations and things like that. So it's always something that a, a educator can do. And we have to look at all uh, positions as educators. A program manager is an educator. A security officer is an educator. A clerk assistant is an educator. Anytime that you're doing something for the betterment of the students in schools, you are an educator. And no educator should be deemed in any way, circumstance, in a remote setting, non-essential. Totally agree. I, I think, you know, one of the big things, and we talked about this a lot on the show, is that every worker in the building has a different relationship with the kids. Yes. Sometimes it's the security guard who can talk to them the best. Sometimes it's the lunch staff. Sometimes it's janitorial staff. Sometimes it's a clerk. Sometimes it's a teacher. And all those people have the ability to interact and help out these kids. Because as Roman had said, you know, it, people are stressed out. People are, are way more stressed now than they were before because of all the different issues that are going on in the world. And maybe these people can just be around for social-emotional support. You know, maybe there's a good reason this kid doesn't log in or doesn't put his camera on. And just like security patrols the hallway, maybe they patrol here just to see if the kids need anything. I've noticed this kid in the last four classes hasn't had his camera on. What's up with that? Let's find out why. So right. I'll, I'll text him. I'll call him. What? Why? Why are you not on? What? What's going on? Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's something they need to talk about. But these are some of the things that you know in the building we do it naturally. This is just what we do. That you know I know if if you know Roman and I are teachers together or Marilyn and I are teachers together. That 
I know, oh, this kid is is good friends with Marilyn. I see him talking all the time. I had a problem with her. Let me tell Marilyn, maybe she can do something. Or maybe Roman can talk to this kid kind of in the hallway a little bit. So it's not a confrontation in my room. You know, this is, we do it naturally. It's a little harder to do it remotely, and has, but it has to be much more intentional now. And as we've said, we need a plan. We need a real plan for this. And Jim, to piggyback on that, we had a student that didn't have a camera on that, um, not at my school, but another school. The reason why he didn't have his camera on, they lived in a studio apartment and him and his siblings shared beds and the sibling was still asleep. So he didn't want to turn the camera on so everybody could see their living arrangements. Right. And we have to, again, approach this with grace um, because this is new for everybody and we have to be very understanding. And again, the reason why you know that, Marilyn, is because somebody communicated that to you and they felt that trust. And that's why, again, this is an opportunity to make sure that we build the trust with parents, trust with our students, trust with our communities so we can be able to get the most from our students and not, again, penalize them for every little thing, but know that we are in a different space and that education still must go on. But Jim, I have a question for you. Um, Even though some educators have been non-essential, some have been really considered essential, like clerks, and have even been pressured by their school administrators or principal to come in and work early. We know that normally during the school year, clerks go into the building usually one week before the entire staff does. But some clerks have been asked to come in through the summer, make phone calls, in the building, um, even though we as a union have say, stated that our position is is not safe. So what do you have to say as a field rep right now? What advice do you have for clerks or any other position on CTU member who has been like directly or indirectly pressured to come inside the building to work? Well, you know, clerks are in a, an interesting position because they do a lot of stuff behind the scenes that we don't really necessarily know, but it's essential for a school to function correctly. They do things like registrations. They make sure people's shot records are up to date and that they're logged in correctly and that their grades transferred from eighth grade to the high school, those types of things. They make sure all this stuff is actually happening correctly. And a lot of that has, um, well, I mean, it's always been done traditionally in person, but some of it is very difficult to do remotely because these are still paper records, some of them. Right. Now, CTU's position now is right now, nobody should be being forced to go into a building. This should be something that principals are asking, would you come in? Could you do this? And it's very reasonable. And I think it should be expected that a clerk or anybody wanting to go into the building needs to know that there's adequate protections put in place that it's been cleaned? Am I going to be in an office alone by myself or are kids going to be coming in back and forth? Mm-hmm. The clerks at, at my old school, they did a fantastic job. They were always at the front desk answering a million questions. Um, and then I'd come down and ask them yet another question. But they always handled it so well. Um, but, you know, during a pandemic, that's not reasonable. It, you know, it may not have even been reasonable before for them to answer all those questions. All right, but definitely not now. We can't be having random people coming in off the street, maybe wearing a mask, maybe not, maybe using hand sanitizer, maybe not, breathing, coughing, who knows what, and have the clerk be like, oh yeah, that's fine, I'll just do it. No, 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 no. I mean, nobody should ever have to risk their life to complete a job. But a paperwork job that can be done remotely, that maybe the principal can 
mail this stuff to them, drop it off at their house. They can pick it up and do it from home. There's a lot of ways that we can figure out how to do this remotely. Is it a little more complicated than before? Yes. And I understand administrators want to make things as streamlined as possible. I get that. But we're all having to make sacrifices for this. So does it suck you've got to drive over to your clerk's house to drop the stuff off? Yep, it sucks. Sorry. But do that. You know, we got to figure out a way that everybody can do their job, but do it safely. And especially with some of these things that are very reasonable accommodations to make. I don't need to look at a piece of paper in the office. I can look at it anywhere. (laughs) Wherever they are. That's right. That's the kind of stuff that we need to do. And if anybody is being forced or they feel being forced to come into the, the building for any reason at this point, please call your field rep. If you don't know who that is, go on CTU's website. There's a link to it. It'll tell you, you type in your school. It'll tell you who your field rep and your organizer is. All right. If it's me, nice to meet you. If it's not, everybody (laughs) else there is doing a great job too. So please make sure that you contact us if you're having any issues like this. Don't feel like you need to suffer through it yourself and be like, oh, I'll just do it. No big deal. That's how administrators get us because they're like, oh, you know, they try that. If you loved the kids, you would do this. Oh, everybody else. No, hell no. Stop with that. We love the kids. That's why we do this. So don't play that. But there are some rules about how it's got to be done. And this is a very reasonable type of thing to be able to do. And um, nobody should be feeling forced to do anything like that at this time. Awesome. Thank you. So again, if you're out there and you're one of those educators who is being directly or indirectly um, being forced to come into the building, that pressure is on you. They trying to, the administration is trying to play in your heartstrings, you know, don't do it. I, I get that we want to do the best for our students, but there are other ways, as Jim has already stated, there are other ways that you can do your job from home. And so we have to do what's best to make sure that we are safe so we can not just, you know, work, but survive through this. This is also about survival. And we're going to ask one more question to our panel. So some parents, as I said earlier, are have been transferring out. They said, hey, we're going to go to charter schools. We're going to go to schools, private schools, but they have a hybrid model um, because we just feel like last year our students weren't getting what they need. Uh, they may not get what they need this year. Uh, how do we motivate parents to you know, go forward or forge ahead with remote and to make sure that we as educators, CTU educators, are educating their children in the best way possible? Now, this one, this one, I feel is a slippery slope. But again, because of how aggressive my administrators are, they're on top of everything. So, you know what? Hey, make up a a script, something. You can give it to the clerks. They can do it remotely. You can email it to them. They can call up these parents of the students that have transferred out and lure them, like try to get them back in. Give them a list of things that they're not going to be getting at the private school or the charter school. Although most of the charter schools are, I believe, remote, but I could be wrong. You know, give them this list and then, you know, say, well, you've got nothing to do. You only have an hour's worth of work each day. Okay, cool. Have them call people like, hey, what's going on? So you guys left our school, but you know what? The remote learning is going to be different. You were left, you know, hanging without a plan because we didn't have a plan. You know, the district, no plan. This time we have a plan. The, you know, have the administrators just write down like three or four bullet points, five bullet points, why they should come back to the school. You know, how we're better prepared for remote learning. 
how, how they could come to the school to get the technology, okay. how they could um, court the parents back, um, how we're going to make remote learning more successful. You know, this isn't going to be just, you know, your kid has no technology, so we don't care. No, let's reach out to these parents. Let's be like, hey, man, let's connect you to remote learning the best way we can. We're, we're there for the kids. We're there for the support. Also, I would give them <laughs> here for all the kids. <laughs> I would give them access to, you know, like, um, like uh, mental health services, things like that. Like here, guys, I know, Hey, you need someone to talk to you want to vent. Go ahead. Cool. Talk to this person. You know, I'm sure there's someone to be willing to talk to them. A clerk could take an earful. Oh yeah. This parent's mad about this. Okay. Well, if we can court them back and bring them back into the school, you know, Use whatever means you got to use. It's like you're selling the school, you know. Be like, oh, okay. Three of your uh, your older kids went here, and now you're gonna pull your fourth one out because you don't think the school's doing well. Well, come on. What kind of you know? We can do this in remote learning. We all need to work together. We know it's hard, but here's what we're doing now to better the remote learning. Marilyn, what do you think? Well, I think that. Um we have to sell the school like we do when uh, we want them to come to Walter Payton, Lane Tech, Kenwood High School. We have to sell the plan to the parents. So we have to know the plan. Every school need an orientation. Every parent feel uncomfortable. They don't know who their child teacher is going to be. You remember some kindergartens left in March. They don't know who the first grade teacher. They have not had an introduction. They don't know the plan. They don't know what class are you offering me how long my child will be on. I think if we start selling remote with commercials and everything they want to put negative on the news right now, we need to push it positive. Mm-hmm. Every school needs to have a plan right now. We are trying not only bring kids in, we're trying to keep the kids we have because if we lose kids, are we going to lose position next year because of remote learning? And how will we get them back? Yeah, I did um, extended um, extended learning over the time with special education students. And I must say that it was a great experience. And one of the, re- the main reason that the ESY summer learning work was because of consistent communication with parents. I, co- I communicated with each parent every single day. I sent them text. I called them. I emailed them assignments. Um, they were on Google Classroom. And so I met them where they were. I made sure what was the most comfortable method for them. I made sure that we talked about their child, not just their academics, but their personalities. I let them know that I am a partner. I am somebody that cares. I'm not just a teacher, which a teacher is, you know, it has a big meaning, but I am here for their child. And we have to let parents know that we are there for their child. And we know that each family have unique needs and we have to listen and understand the unique needs and try as educators to meet their unique needs. And this is why, again, as I said earlier, every position is essential because of these unique needs that parents have. We have to have all hands on deck and communicating with them and providing for them and being a support system for them to make sure that they stay in school. We don't want them going from one remote school to another. We want them to stay in place and get what they need from the people that know them the best. So that is one way I feel like we got to uh, ensure 
parent or to make them feel at ease is that we're going to help be there for them in this unique situation because this is new for everybody and to have grace upon them, to have grace upon their children and also have the grace with teachers and help our new teachers and veteran teachers understand these learning platforms and make sure that teachers are teaching that in a way that works for them as their and their students. Some things don't work for every teacher and we have to be respectful of that and support the teachers in that capacity. Can I ask one more question? I know it's not on our list. Okay. But, uh, I, I just thought of it, and uh, that this is going to Roman. I saw you got a little one running around back there, and I was wondering, like, some of the particular problems or uh, issues you might have as being a teacher trying to teach kids while you've got a kid trying to be taught remotely at the same time. Uh, yes. I mean, it, it's real. It's a real problem. I do have my wife. Thank God. She... <laughs> You know, she was a, a preschool teacher. Oh, great. She, they're like, get back in the building. She's like, no, it's not safe. And she's like, no, I'm not going to. So, I mean, essentially it didn't really hit us that hard because a lot okay. of money, a lot of her salary was going to tuition. If I didn't have that, I would be like, it would be very, very, I'm sure there are people who have children, you know, their husband works, he's maybe an essential worker and, you know, a police officer, a fireman, whatever, right. right? And they're essential, and then you know, they're or they're both essential. I mean, it's it's hard. No matter what you do, this is hard for parents. Which is again why in this remote learning, let's have reach, reach observation. No, because what do you you know someone who's you know trying to multitask like teach class and then deal with their children? You're gonna evaluate them online right. remotely. Right. Come on. It's ridiculous. And that's a great way to end this session. Thank you so much, Roman and Marilyn. Thank you for your perspective. And I'm sure that our listeners will definitely glean from the things that you have said, our educators, as well as our parents and community partners. So thank you so much. And I just hope that we do go in and that we will make remote learning great. Thank you all so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this episode of C2 Speaks, learning about how everybody is essential in remote learning. And do not forget that we've got that survey that's um, been emailed to us about what we need for remote learning. We can only fight for the stuff that we know that you guys need. So please fill out that survey. Let us in the leadership of CTU know what we need to be fighting for so we can get you what you need in the classroom. And also, don't forget to check out all the professional development that Walter Taylor at the CTU Foundation is helping organize. There's going to be a link for that in the show notes, so you can go there and get your learning on and make sure that our classrooms are up to speed for this remote learning session. And uh, Ms. Parker's going to tell you how to call us. Yes, please call us. We just love to hear your voicemails, your comments, your concerns, all these things, and your ideas. We can be reached at 312-467-8888-312-467-8888. And if you want to email us, we can be reached at ctuspeaks at ctulocal1.org. Thank you again for tuning in to CTU Speaks, where we only speak what matters. See you.